You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Real estate prices have gone up in the double digits just over the last few months. We're seeing bidding wars, offers way over asking price. Are we just setting ourselves up for a massive bubble that will result in a massive crash? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Today, we're going to talk about why 2020 to 2024 may be different this time. Logan Motoshami is a lead analyst for Housing Wire. He's also a financial writer, frequently quoted in Bankrate.com and Bloomberg Financial. Now he's retired, but he was a senior loan officer at AMC Lending Group. Logan is called a media star by National Mortgage News and the chart guy and housing guru by others. And I'm just so happy to have him here on The Real Well Show. So Logan, welcome. It's great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to get your take on where we are headed in this wild and crazy ride called housing. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, let's just start with what has happened in the last few months alone. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, basically what's happened is that uh, housing is always basically a demographic and mortgage rate story. And we're, we're, this is a very unique period in time in U.S. history. Years 2020 to 2024, this five-year period, has actually the best housing demographics ever recorded in history. You know, ages 27 to 33 right now, or 32 and a half million, it's the biggest ever. Also, mortgage rates are at the lowest levels ever. So when COVID hit, a lot of people forgot that the February housing data, right when we got it in March, actually showed a breakout. So after a few weeks of kind of stalled delay, you know, uh, purchase application data just came right back and housing was the most outperforming economic sector in the world, which makes sense because we have this massive demographic patch. But the one problem with having the best demographic patch and the lowest mortgage rates, which have been forecasted really for decades, is that home prices can accelerate. Uh, um, beyond what the normal trend is. And what's also happened is COVID has brought mortgage rates lower than they normally would have been. There would have been no recession without COVID. And that's just uh, allowing prices to kind of escalate, as we've seen recently with the Case-Shiller Index. We're up 12% year over year, coming off a 10% year. And, you know, usually higher mortgage rates, even over 4%, cools that down. It doesn't go negative, but it cools it down. And we don't have that. And right now, total inventory levels are at all-time lows, and we have this big, big demographic patch, and we have mortgage rates still under 4%. So it's just, to, to me, just speaking on the economic front, uh, and something I've always warned about, this is an unhealthy stage for home prices to accelerate, because you're not seeing people lose their bids by one or two people. You're seeing people lose their bids to 15 to 20 other people, and it's just, it's an inventory crunch without the credit boom. So it's just prices can accelerate in this environment. Yeah, I mean, you can have massive demand, you can have low interest rates, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're gonna have these price gains. It really, you add that component of lack of inventory. What's causing that besides, of course, People can't build as quickly as they'd like to. You know, I, I, I point to this is that there's three factors and uh, total inventory uh, was kind of peaked out in 2014. And if you look at 2014, every single year after 2014, purchase application data rose, right? And the difference between now than let's say in the past few decades is housing tenure. People are just staying in their homes longer. From 1985 to 2007, it was five years. Uh, past the great financial crisis, it's 10 years. 
So every year, total inventory had been falling, 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 and purchase application data has been rising, rising. But now, I mean, this, this period in time in history is the most unique time ever. You don't have this many people looking for shelter. So what it did is that we've just had all these forces coming together. And a lot of people always talk about housing is going to crash housing. No, it, 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 no, that doesn't work that way. You can't have the two forces of housing come at the best levels ever recorded in U.S. history. And then housing tenure is here. And then all of a sudden you have this escalation of prices. And a lot of the, lot of the fear was that forbearance was going to be this big issue. Uh, and it's just not, we don't have that credit uh, boom with uh, uh, bad credit debt like we did from 2002 to 2005. It's the exact opposite. I think a lot of people were unprepared because, to be honest, they don't have the training to kind of look at the data this way. So they just naturally assume the worst and look what happened. Housing just just rolled over everyone uh, in 2020 and 2021. Well, it's also um, the news fault in, in a lot, uh, and, and certain uh, analysts who who came out and said, oh, you know, there's going to be 5 million foreclosures with all these forbearances, and it's like, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a headline that's going to scare people. Well, I, I call these people the housing bubble boys, and I actually gave them a new nickname last year uh, uh, as I write for Housing Wire. I call them the forbearance crash bros. It's a bunch of people on YouTube sites talking about, and, and for me, my job is to basically guide people on how to read data correctly and kind of ignore these people. Because I said, this is going to be the biggest whiff ever, uh, because you can see that just the way they talk about data and forbearance, they're not, they're not trained to. So forbearance actually was never bigger than the shadow inventory in 2012, and demand was better now than it was then. So it's, it's only, it's an American thing where you can have stable demand, and for some reason, people think prices are going to crash doesn't work that way so I, I warned that give it time and forbearance these people are going to come off of this because these are owners if you look at the quality of debt post 2010 you have a lot of americans who have fixed low debt costs versus rising wages versus nested equity it's the complete opposite of what happened during the uh, 2002 to 2005 period so within a year the total forbearance number has dropped in half Right, it didn't go up to 10 to 15 to 20 million as some people uh, had forecasted, and we already had the first wave of jobs. We're about to have the second wave of jobs too. So, majority of these people are just going to be able to stay in their homes, and it was never going to be the issue that a lot of people uh, uh, thought it would be. And you could just see this by how they talked about it. I'm curious because Black Knight comes out with some pretty scary headlines as well, and I'm not sure if, it's, if they're one of the bros uh, or not. <laughs> um, <clears throat> It's a little, it's confusing because it says delinquencies. Are they talking about like legal forbearances? Are they calling those delinquencies or what are they referring to? Technically, uh, a forbearance in their mind is a delinquency, but delinquency ratios have been falling. Like Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, their, their delinquencies with forbearance might be under 2% before the year is out. But really, you have to look at it as there's 141 million housing units out there. Demand is stable. And when demand is stable, typically inventory doesn't escalate. Uh, I think the factor of looking at housing like it's a stock, right? It just doesn't work out that way. And what happened is that demand picked up, inventory levels got even lower, and it was a complete confusion because people kept saying, oh, just wait, just wait, just wait. No, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, the kind of the stock trader mindset of, of inventory. Well, you better watch out because a lot of the terminology has been used that 
Well, why would anybody buy a house if you could buy it 5% or 10% cheaper? Americans don't operate like stock traders, right? They need yeah. shelter to live in. Housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own debt. And within five, six weeks, Americans came back and started buying homes. So I think the inexperience by a lot of people really showed itself in 2020 to 2021. Because if anybody who looked at the census data would realize, wow, this five-year period, you got a lot of people and mortgage rates are at all-time lows. It's it's a hard recipe to have this massive escalation of inventory because demand would fall down so much. Didn't happen. So let's let's go back to basics of what you keep saying because uh, you know I have uh, a 28 year old daughter and I remember when she went uh, to college it was hard when she tried to get on the soccer team it was hard because she was in the the age group of the baby of the um, millennials that were there's the most of them mm -hmm. the 28 year olds and and so a, a lot of people have been saying in the past oh these millennials they're not going to have families and baby you know come on they're they're people too. <laughs> So yeah, my, yeah, my daughter is an example. She's 28. She's married. She has a baby. Yeah. She has a house. She has two dogs. So this is the age group. Is that what you're saying over the next four or five years is these 28 year olds and yeah, what age group are you saying? It's for many years when I speak at every conference, I say the same thing. It's kind of the same skit I use. People rent, they date, they mate, they get married three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. This is not like the baby boomer generation or the World War II where you get married at a younger age and then you have kids before 25. People, this is the most uh, educated and skilled college group of, of uh, a generation of our lifetime. People do things later. So I, I've always referenced years 2020 to 2024. Going back many years, I said, this is the time where this group is gonna kick in. So watch out because, because it shouldn't shock everyone. So because people do things later, they naturally assumed, well, somebody at 23 is not buying a house like I used to back in you know 1965. No, it doesn't work that way. Each generation has a unique profile and, and the millennials and Gen Z will probably be the same way, do things a little bit later. So you're pushing in a lot of people, ages 27 to 33, first time median home buyers, 33 now, you're putting a lot of people into a very short period of time. And then you have move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors. You put all of those together. And I will say you have the best replacement buyer demand profile in our history and mortgage rates are at all time lows. So if you keep it simple like that, and the whole millennials, I, 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 I joke about this, boy, did these people whiff like I, I, I look at these housing bears like in a, on a historical basis, like it's historical and it's biblical. No group has ever whiffed this bad in history to go from like a bubble crash, which means a 75.6% decline in one year back to 2012 levels to have the most outperforming economic sector in the world. And now everybody's multiply bidding. Like who messes up this bad housing bears in America because <laughs> a lot of grifting, it's a lot of click my side, it's a lot of, and it was the biggest whiff in history. And I, I like to document this stuff because you get to see this happen live. Uh, yeah. They overblew the COVID uh, 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 crisis and really the US economy actually starting April started to recover, even though a lot of people didn't believe that. And it just caught a lot of people by surprise because naturally they assumed every housing market is a bubble just because nominal home prices increase and it didn't work out that way and you see this in the purchase application data it's just for pre-cycle highs sales at pre-cycle highs it's nowhere close to the 2005 level where you had speculative credit debt 
And it's just very hard for people to realize why I've been lied to by a lot of people. And this was supposed to be the time that here was COVID now didn't happen. The exact opposite happened. <laughs> so yeah, I, I always said 2023, cause that's when these it's, it's my understanding again, that the, the 28 year olds are the largest segment that, you know, the largest group of millennials 28, are 28 and they the generally buy at yeah. 31. So that would be right around 2023. So I thought there might be a little slowdown and there was like the end of 2018 for a minute and then bam. Uh, but I, I thought there would definitely be a housing boom in 2023, which is why we've been, you know, helping people load up on property to kind of prepare for that because we thought there might be a shortage. It seems to be coming early. Um, and I think that, like you said, this is one of the the, the smartest, uh, you know, savviest group of people. They're well-educated. They make a lot of money, these kids. That's, you know, they, yeah, they that's, make... and, and part of the problem is the student loan debt crisis talk. Um, uh, people who know my work over the years, I said the student loan debt crisis is being talked about in a way that's should not relate to housing demand. And I always say that people that finish college actually make the most money. They typically make the most money and they also have the most financial assets. What people uh, didn't realize is that the student loan debt crisis really is from people that dropped out of college and they don't actually have a lot of debt. It's like uh, average balance is like 10, 11,000. So they don't have, they have debt and they don't have the degree or the income capacity. There's where the stress is. So the typical line was, Millennials are all part-time workers. All, they all went to college and, they, and millions of them work at Starbucks, even though Starbucks only employs 182,000 people in America. <laughs> For some reason, everybody got a degree and worked. As, this is all basically trolling by yeah. a group of people that it just, and it just backfired in such an epic fashion that it's, it's wonderful that it was the U.S. housing market that, you know, the, the demand, the household formation demand, Americans make money to take us out of the uh, COVID crisis. And now we're the biggest outperforming economic country in the world as we should be. And if people just read the census data, like I wish I could tattoo the census data on my, on my uh, neck, just so people <laughs> could realize this was here for many decades. And for yeah. me, it's explaining it in this light, like post 1996, when I use 1996 data, and I, I actually don't even look at data pre-1996, Mortgage rates made another uh, break lower, adjusting to population demand uh, and, and, and labor force grew. So what happened is that we don't have a we don't have many times where home sales are under four million. It's only happened three times. Two of those times, the COVID nineteen delay and then the home buyer tax credit, which inflated demand for like one month and then it crashed down. But really, two thousand eight and my, a lot of my work says we're going to have the weakest housing recovery from two thousand eight to two thousand nineteen. That means mortgage demand, housing starts. But it's based on a principle that we can't really break under four million if you look at it. So here is the biggest housing demographic patch ever. Then you have move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors, demand is stable. And people just would not believe that uh, last year. And what happened is just yeah. the unbelievable power of mother demographics just pushed in. And now you have an inventory crunch, right? And it's not like credit demand is big. If you actually look at purchase application data, you do some major COVID-19 adjustments, we're barely up year over year. It looks nothing like 2002 to 2005, but inventory is just extremely low. So you have this like unhealthy market of like 30 people trying to buy one house. It's, I don't know if people remember this, the 1980s game, Hungry, Hungry Hippo, 
where there's a bunch of hippos and you just smack a thing and oh, yeah. balls in the Love middle. Oh yeah, that game. Well, guess what? There's only one ball out there and everybody's just trying to get it. And it's just frustrating for <laughs> buyers now because you know, you're, you're, you're getting outbid. Uh, yep. And then the sellers are thinking, well, if I sell my house, where am I going to move? So a lot of people go, well, why aren't sellers, why aren't people selling their homes? Well, they've been living in their homes longer than ever. But yeah. if you sell a property and you're not an investor, you have to live somewhere. So it's just one of these things where it, it, it's unhealthy on the economic side that you have so much demand and you really have a shortage right here. And this is why prices are escalating as they are. Woo. Okay. So they're escalating at crazy levels. I mean, we're, we're seeing, I think it was 17% year over year. Year over year is going to be a little confusing next month though, because sales weren't great. Uh, well, and we're going to be comparing April to April. That's going to be an interesting yeah, headline. Yeah. Like on my Twitter account, I have a hashtag. I think I'm the <laughs> only one who's created this too. I can't believe it. it's me. Ignore all year over year data. Just yeah. like, it's just, we've never seen something like COVID where yeah. what I call a sticky data, data that doesn't move really much, just have a waterfall collapse and just a V-shape recovery. So what's happening is that purchase application data is like 37%, 57%, 51%. These year over year data is from last year. But if you adjust it to COVID, we're barely up. So what's going to happen is that the year-over-year -year data is going to look extremely good. Like if you look at retail sales and oh, everything Oh, it's going to be crazy because yeah, like be, nothing happened. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then the second half of 2021, everything's going to be negative year-over-year. -year. Like I, I, oh. I, wrote, I wrote about this uh, a few months ago for Housing Wire. Purchase application data is going to be all negative for the-, for the Oh my uh, goodness. And everyone's going to freak out. Yeah. And, and don't freak out. <laughs> because the V-shape recovery, and then it wasn't even a V-shape. It just went, went above the charts. So yeah. data is all messed up. And that's why yeah. I have the theme, hashtag ignore all your view data. It can lead you to think that things are super booming and then super crashing. And it just it's just not going to work itself out. So there has to be some kind of uh, a knowledge about this because people are yeah. going to think, oh, purchase applications are down 10%. And demand is basically stable, and it's just, it's just, it's, it is what it is. You have to just work with the data that's given to you, and that, and that crisis really, really messed up everything uh, uh, on the positive side early on, and then on the negative side in the second half of 2021. We had a 2.7 million increase within the six months of last of 2021. That is not normal. Like, like housing data just went straight parabolic, and we only ended 2020 at 5.64 million existing home sales. That's only 130,000 more than what happened in 2017. So it's wow. not like this booming credit, you know, demand cycle. We yeah. just, people just, the demographics kicked in and more people are looking to buy like than we had from 2008 to 2019. So you've got these millennials forming families. They've got pretty nice paychecks. They're able to kind of move and live anywhere because a lot of these young people are in the tech industry and they can literally live anywhere. Uh, so they're taking their San Francisco or New York or LA mindset and they're going to Austin and they're going to Nashville and they're going to Denver and wherever they're going and everything looks cheap. So, you know, some of the things I'm, I'm seeing is 100,000, 400,000 over asking price. Of course, that sounds like a bubble, but for the person buying it, it's still cheap. You know, I always tell people, you do not have to worry about the person who's paying a hundred thousand more for a house right now. <laughs> I promise you that person is doing really well. 
Yeah. Like the people who are like 40 to $60,000 medium income are worried about the people making 250 to three. You don't need to worry about them yeah. because it's not a credit bubble. Like lending standards are like, if I always show the, the credit score profiles post 2010, like we had a parabolic move higher in 760 FICO scores because debt is very vanilla. It's fixed low debt costs versus rising wages. So the problem is you have these people who have financial assets, they have the money, they just want somewhere to live. And they're they just want a house. <laughs> yeah, they just want a house. So they're looking, and, it, and it's a strange concept for people to think that you're being outbid by your fellow American who makes more money than you and has more financial assets. Because the, the theory is that, oh, millennials are broke and a lot of people don't make a lot of money and housing inflation is so high. That's the, that's the mistake is that people look at nominal home prices and they think, well, we're above 2006 level. It has to be a bubble. No, per capita income was always much higher than, uh, than home prices uh, from 2008 to 2020. We've only caught up uh, uh, for home prices have only caught up to per capita income this year, really. And you're looking at mortgage rates being 3% lower and you have this massive demographic patch, which has dual income households right? You know, it's, it's not a one income household anymore. Yeah. You put that together, boy, that's demand is going to be stable for this period of time. And when we talk about mortgage rates, mortgage rates got to 4.75 to 5% in 2018. Total home sales were still 6 million, right? Inventory really didn't go on total inventory really didn't go on much on a year over year basis. You had some monthly increase, but it was 5% total home sales were 6 million. So now you're at 3%. So you can see what's happening. People go, I'm not losing that house. I just moved here or I just moved there. I'm not, I'm no. So you have big state money coming into areas where, wow, okay, this is like, this home is like, would be like a one bedroom condo in Irvine, California. So I'm not losing this, you know? So you have some buying power from uh, uh, people that just, just have a lot of financial assets. And then it's just like demoralizing for maybe a first time home buyer within a city thinking, wow, I, I just got like my bid was the 31st out of, out of 30. You know, it's just it's frustrating for that. So you have that underlying demand still there. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's just one of these things where mother demographics just kicked in and you have money coming from other other states. And that, you know, even if there was no COVID, even if there was no work from home model, this would have happened because this is typically what people do. People, they, they live in the city when they're young. And then when they have kids, they move to the suburbs because they that's want a bigger do. home. Millennials that's, are people yeah. too. That's yeah. got to be so the new hashtag. That's, and that's the thing is that the, the complete whiff was thinking that millennials were broke. They went to college. They have $200,000 of college debt and they all work at Starbucks. Right, right. All right. So I've said this for a while as well, that, if you've done any traveling, which I know you have out, outside of the U.S., uh, a lot of real estate in the U.S. is still really cheap, comparatively speaking. Like if you go to Europe, Switzerland, I mean, please, it's so expensive. I, I show this chart and it shocks everyone. And I've done and I've, I've shown this for years. People just don't get it. If you look at our real home price gains, like a, the equivalents of, of uh, rent inflation, we are so far behind Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and France. Like there's no way our home prices can catch up to them. They're so far ahead of us that I, people just go, wait a second. Uh, if Canada was supposed to be in a bubble for 16 years, 
And France, we have like, like people don't realize we're the only really mature economy that has a growing prime age labor force. Like Europe doesn't have it, China doesn't have it, Japan doesn't have it, it's only us really. And those countries are so far ahead of us and here comes this massive demographic patch and low rates. Like who is, who's bad enough to think that housing was gonna crash 70%? The housing bubble boys are in the real estate crash YouTube because that's how they grift. <laughs> and, and, and when people see that, they go, wow, the France is that much higher than us, the Canada and yeah. And we have yeah. a very, very solid homeowner uh, um, profile beneath us. So you have a lot of people with nested equity, you have fixed low debt costs, like the percentage of debt payments versus incomes are the lowest levels ever really, because everybody's refinanced their debt. So the homes are, the, the homeowners are really solid right now. It's not like the credit bubble where you had people, they could be working two jobs, their loan recasted and they have to lose the house. Not the case. And I think the bubble syndrome caught a lot of people and they whiffed. There's just no way to explain it. Like basic fundamental economics won and grifting lost. And it, it was good to see the U.S. housing market be the leading uh, group out of this crisis because you have a lot of people for the rest of their life or just they're, they're tagged with the biggest whiff in history. What we've seen uh, happening a, a little bit, it, we have a development in Park City that, uh, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful that uh, we, we did syndications and we bought land and we've been building homes and boom, the timing was great. Even though I'd like to say I would like to take full credit knowing that there would be a boom now. I thought, there, I thought it would be in 2023, so I wasn't totally sure. But anyway, timing's great. Um, and in Park City, there was already a lack of housing. It's hard in some areas, especially highly desirable areas with lots of nature. There's um, slow growth initiatives and and or no growth. And in, in that Summit County in Park City, it's really hard to bring on new supply, like almost impossible. Now, what's happened during uh, COVID is a lot of people who owned vacation homes there moved into them. They, yeah. They're like, you know, their dream was to someday live in, in, in this vacation home. You know, now they can. They find out they love it. There's more than just skiing. There's summers and so forth. So now those homes that are normally rentals aren't. Yeah, aren't anymore, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a function of what happened from 2008 to 2019. Uh, housing starts, which was, which was my big call from the last decade, that we're never going to we're never gonna have 1.5 million housing starts until years 2020 to 2024, because the new home sales sector literally had its weakest recovery ever. You had an... 82% crash in new home sales from the peak. And then our household formation demographics weren't gonna uh, get better until years 2020 to 2024. So you have to work your household formation because the biggest group was 19 to 25 and people just buy later. So naturally millions of people buy homes a year. That's, that's, that's a given. But this group is just gonna take their time and here it is. And because new home sales uh, didn't warrant more housing uh, construction back then, now it's like, whoa, if you actually do it adjusting to population, like we, we underbuilt uh, in that regard, and the builders do not purposely oversupply a market, right? Their job is to basically make money. So I always tell people, remember 2018, mortgage rates hit 5%. They had a supply spike. Their stocks were down 30, 40% from the peak. And their CEOs are going, oh, this is the worst fourth quarter since the great financial crisis. Well, new home sales were really low historically, and so were housing starts. So I, I told people, don't worry about it. Rates will come back down, and in a few months, this will be corrected. It did, but now it's just we just can't build fast enough 
to meet this demand. So we're stuck with the existing home sales inventory, which is at all time lows right now. And then everybody's looking for a home to live. And it's just one of these problems that you could see it happening like seven years ago. And every year got closer and closer. The data was slowly getting there. But just the, the people just didn't believe millennials can do this or homeowners can do this. They can move up, they can move down. Cash buyers are still a, a very part of the marketplace. You put that all together, this is a historic time in U.S. history, and it performed in a historic fashion. Are you seeing, uh, what's the ratio of people buying homes as an investment versus home, you know, primary? Now, here's, this is the interesting thing. A lot of people say, well, it's investors that are really pushing this. Okay, I know, so, we take so much flack. I get like, I was like, okay, so I show the, I show the percentage. I was like, so last year was 17%, and this year is 17%. Okay. There's no so it's the same. And, and then the most recent report, it's 15% uh, 15% uh, 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 in the recent data. If you look at the second home market, because it gets a lot of attention right now, we went from 5% of all the sales to roughly 6%. Ooh. So it's just, <laughs> I mean, and cash buyers, which were, you know, 19% last year or 22% now. So there's no real big deviation of investors and cash buyers. If you go back the last eight years, cash buyers and investors actually have been falling because the a uh, lot of the purchasing, especially after the crisis, were uh, foreclosure homes. So they naturally were a bigger part of the market because the mortgage demand just wasn't there yet. But now it's primary resident, first time or, or, or primary resident home buyers with mortgages. Like you can look at the purchase application data, it's pre-cycle highs. Without that, you don't have any of this market because investors and cash buyers aren't big enough. People say, well, foreign buyers are buying. Foreign buyers have been less than 270,000 of the 6 million total home sales bought like every year. So that, that story was always over-exaggerated. Americans buy homes in mass with mortgages and that's what's happening. It's just, we just have a lot more now than we had in the early part of the last decade. And this is more just a demographic household formation story and mortgage rates are all time low. You just kind of have to keep it as simple as that, that, <laughs> you know, it's really rare in the U.S. past 1996 to have under 4 million sales. And now you have the best demographic match. Well, it's, it's, there's one more factor besides everything. Okay. We, demographics are incredible. Interest rates are low. Jobs are solid for, for a certain, de for a certain demographic, mm -hmm. those, those buying houses. Right. Uh, but now you've got, and then of course, lack of supply. And then you've got an unprecedented influx of cash. Just, just throw that into the mix. You know, how about a few trillion? Yeah. How about seven trillion? Savings rates have just gone through the roof, right? And I do these charts every month. I've like got 40,000 charts on my computer. And one of the things I show is that disposable income never went negative during the crisis. It typically doesn't go negative in recessions anyway, but... It actually blew up. Do you know why? Because even in the worst days of COVID, 133 million people were working. And the, the first wave of jobs got, got, got a big chunk back. But if you're giving cash to people that are working, it goes into their savings rate. So we just had this massive increase, an all-time high in U.S. savings rate. And then we did it again. So we're going to get another boost in the data. And then those uh, the unemployment benefits, which went to renter financial profiles, uh, that, that's that's a... That's another topic where it wasn't even homeowners. Uh, people that made 60000 and over actually were positive in jobs by October of 2020. So you just have an excess savings 
disposable incomes are high and their mortgage rates are low. So yeah, we, we have a, I, I wrote this tweet like last May. I said, boy, the backdrop for the roaring 20s is set. You have excess savings. You have a good demographics. You have low rate. Um, this is, and people are like, we're going to be in a depression for five years. And everything else is just like, oh my God. So my job is to basically document this every day, yep. every month, take all the data lines and just show people why. Because if I can't show people why this is happening, because back last April 7th, I wrote a thing called the America's Back Model. It was an economic model designed for people to see that the economy was actually going to recover this year. You just have to follow these data lines. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. You know, it's just this crisis is like a giant snowstorm. You just delay things and you just get right back up. And people just went into the depression mode. And really, after April, albeit it was a very deep low, you see the economic data getting better. Financial stress indexes started falling. I said the bond market, the 10-year yield will get to 1% before the year is out. We're, we're going to be fine. It literally did that. So uh, it was a shock from people. And I always tell people, like, you really want to know why these bubble boys and these real estate crash people were wrong? In theory, if they're supposed to be real estate experts, they would have sold all their properties last year. <laughs> right? Because they're telling you a crash is happening. Right. They didn't do it last year. They didn't do it this year. Mm -hmm. Are these the experts you should be listening to? Because they don't even take their own advice. So that's yeah. just the problem of the world we live in. You know, the, the structures of information and social media shackles people from telling the truth because to get clicks, you've got to doom and gloom. The world's coming to an end. And COVID was their dream. Here we go. Here's a after five weeks, purchase applications started to rise again. It was the biggest whiff ever in U.S. economic history. And, and I can't even imagine what the next jobs reports are going to be as as people get back to work and with the vaccines I, out. And yeah, I, I've told people that, you know, people were worried that it's going to take many years. I said, we should get all the jobs lost to COVID uh, by September 2022 20, or earlier, just because the demand is there. Like, if you look at our economic data, the demand is so good that you think, well, well, of course, COVID is still here. There's some lockdowns. When we're able to walk the earth freely, can you believe all this energy that the United States has been pent up and we're going to be able to do what we all normally like to do and we have this excess cash with it? You know, so it's just, it's just, it, it was a whiff. A lot of people get stuck in 2008 mode and they mm -hmm. think everything is a credit bubble cr crash and you know, uh, inflation is going to go rampant or whatever. None of that happened. The U.S. started its recovery at the end of April last year, and here it is. And once we're able to walk the earth freely, which is soon, we'll be fine. The only thing is that other countries around the world aren't in the same position as we are. So this is one of the reasons why bond yields and mortgage rates are still staying low. Because if you look at our economic data, our mortgage rates should be well above 4%. But the world economies aren't doing as well as us. Uh, it's going to take them a little bit more time to get back uh, back on track. But we did it. We, we led the entire country out of the great COVID financial crisis. Yes. Okay. Last question. You know, you said kind of it's like the Roaring Twenties, and and here we are at hundred years later yeah. at Roaring Twenties. Well, we kind of know how that ended. Not so great. What are some of the things we should be aware of? Is it rising interest rates in the future? Is it the, these taxes that might just put well, a you know he, lid on it? Here's the thing. People say, well, you keep on talking about the Roaring Twenties. That ended wrong. Well. The world is not like it was in 1920. <laughs> I mean, there's there's all these social safety nets that weren't even alive back then. Uh, the the income profiles of Americans are much different now than they were back in. I, 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 it's crazy for me to say this. Back in 1918 to 1928, it's just different. Uh, our middle class 
actually shrunk only because we have a educated, skilled workforce that makes more money that technically in historical terms would be considered rich. And it's this not the case. If you look at real income data, disposable income per capita, it's all rising. We have all these other uh, social safety nets that are different that we didn't have back then. So don't do the Great Depression thing. You already whiffed on the first depression on COVID. Don't think <laughs> of that uh, coming out. So what you want to worry about is that because production levels are, are, are really crazy now, uh, we just had a massive drop in demand and a massive rebound. Are, are we going to eventually produce too much in the short term that demand doesn't fit it because you see all this demand here that's the worry of every economic and business cycle where's the overproduction uh in the economy you you saw that in the tech bubble there's an overproduction there the housing bubble overproduction we we actually had a manufacturing recession in 2015 why because oil rigs the production in oil rigs were really high then the price of oil crashed so they went down that wasn't big enough to bring the u.s into a recession so you got to be mindful of overproducing and then the demand just doesn't fit it. We are really early, I mean, early in this economic expansion. So you gotta, you gotta wait a few years before you start worried about that because you don't wanna get trapped like people did after 2008 and just worry about a recession. And we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And now we have this unbelievable back, backdrop. And we're the United States of America. We're the really only superpower because we have better demographics. Millennials and Gen Z together combined are bigger than the total population of Japan. Other countries wish they had our replacement workers and replacement consumers. They don't. We got it. Well, kids, y'all heard that. You just keep getting busy out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's working for our economy. All right. Well, that's what I said during COVID. We're either going to have a lot of divorces or a lot of babies. So hopefully. Yes. All right. <laughs> Logan, thank you so much for being here My on The Real pleasure. Wealth Show. My pleasure. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to find out how you can find affordable housing in the U.S. while it's still affordable, definitely check out our website at realwealthshow.com. On the drop down under the Invest tab, you'll see a whole list of the cities where we think there's still room for growth and where we're seeing a pretty massive demographic shift. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.